Listen. Are you listening? <laughs> This is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Thanks so much for joining us today here on Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead this hour, it's hashtag Taiwan highlights and in the spotlight. But as always, we start things off with a brand new edition of Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. If you're just joining us on our Facebook live stream, welcome to you. We're coming to you live from Studio 6A right here in Taipei, Taiwan. Today is the 27th of October. I can't believe we're almost at the end of the month. I'm John Van Trieste and joining me here in the studio today is Emma Benek. Hey everybody. Is your microphone on? Uh, I'm microphone three. You're on. Oh, you know why? The button wasn't pushed on here. <laughs> That right. tends to do Emma, it. Emma Benek is here, the joy oh, of yeah. live radio. <laughs> All right, in just a second, we're going to be reviewing John Oliver's take on the Taiwan issue. Plus, we're also going to be telling you about an herbal medicine developed here in Taiwan that can really make a difference when it comes to keeping mortality of COVID in check. And we're also going to be telling you why a, a uh, Taiwanese-made sandal, a pair of sandals, is in the news here. Mm-hmm. All that coming up next. Please stick around. Well, Taiwanese English speakers were ecstatic this weekend because John Oliver finally tackled the Taiwan issue. For those of you who don't know, he's a, a British comedian. He's gone big in the U.S. Uh, and actually got U.S. citizenship uh, about a year or so ago, I think. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love him. I haven't been able to watch him in a few years because the content just got very depressing. Yeah, it seems like everything is always going wrong in the world yeah. on the John Oliver show. Uh, no, he used to like do funny things like, you know, there was Dancing Zebras at one point. I missed um, that episode. Now I regret my favorite it. Thing about the, my favorite thing is that he, like, he goes all the way. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? There's no filter. <laughs> they'll, they'll put on, they'll buy advertising or billboards like with ridiculous messages or whatever the topic is. Like mm-hmm. he even went to India once and met the Dalai Lama. I did not know that. Well. Yeah. Well, he was already obviously on uh, China's naughty list. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, why not cover the Taiwan issue? It's a big <laughs> thing in the news these days. And uh, this aired on October 24th, Sunday. Uh, it turns out, I didn't know this, that there was a petition on change.org that was launched in June to get him to do a special uh, on Taiwan on his weekly program. Mm-hmm. They only was fewer than 2,000 signatures by the end of it but uh i Which guess you wouldn't think would garner that much attention i mean yeah um but it is an important issue and one that i think a lot of people in the u.s despite the u.s government support for taiwan probably doesn't don't know as much about as they should yeah i mean i think within the past few months more and more of my american friends have been texting me being like i just saw something in the news yeah yeah, about yeah. Taiwan. before they thought i was in china they thought i was in thailand thailand for um, sure yeah nobody really is quite clear but uh so it's something that need, a lot of americans needed clarification about especially mm-hmm. since it's a big part of U.S. foreign policy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. 
Um, so yeah, he took on this issue. He takes on lots of issues uh, that are big in the world. And this one is a very big one because the tensions with China are have really never been this high in many decades, I think. It's fair to say. Um, of course, being John Oliver, he used all the, all the ridiculous stuff that happens here. Um, yeah. <laughs> he sort of over... Amazing. 400 years of Taiwanese history he went over. In the span um, of one episode. Wow. Yeah, it's usually about half an hour. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and there's other segments, but that's mm-hmm. the, the main topic. Um, yeah, yeah. And he did not uh, sort of gloss over or whitewash our past. There mm-hmm. were some dark chapters, uh, especially he mentioned Chiang Kai-shek and the period in, after World War II when Taiwan was a very authoritarian place. Lots yeah, of the white under- terror period. Um, but then he's highlighted how we've since become a thriving democracy and used... Um, our legislature, which is a very dramatic place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and lots of cl- the classic moment that, that I think uh, everyone knows is when they threw pig guts at each other last year. Wait, I actually didn't even know about they that. They threw pig intestines at each other. You missed that? No, I, I mean, yes, I guess I did miss that. It was well, huge. Because well, it was their, the U.S. pork issue. They were going to uh, allow in imports of U.S. pork, which contains an additive oftentimes that is banned here. Oh, uh, but the U.S. really wanted Taiwan to let its pork in. Mm-hmm. And so it, the legis- lawmakers battled it out and the opposition was not happy about it and threw pig guts in protest. Oh, my God. Wow. That's so, insane. Yeah, um, <laughs> but it's, it has some serious, you know, Taiwan is uh, Asia's fastest growing economy last year, a key manufacturer of semiconductors. So what happens here matters to the world. Mm-hmm. And he really highlighted that and along with our vibrant democracy which in which our lawmakers regularly throw punches throw water balloons all for democracy yeah it's 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 colorful it's colorful um (laughs) but you know he uh did show also taiwan's uh exclusion how even though we function somehow (laughs) Mm -hmm. is a thriving democracy a manufacturing powerhouse and economic powerhouse as well we're excluded from things like the who for instance which was a big problem because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Exactly. And Taiwan has had to rely on others for vaccines, information even. Uh, yeah. And I they mean, had a inter- really awkward interview they played last year with that guy. Uh, what's his name? It says his name, Bruce Elward, a- an official with the WHO, who just refused to even acknowledge Taiwan and uh, awkwardly pretended to have issues with his connection to avoid answering the question. Wow. It was awkward. I don't know. Um, I feel like if there's any time to let Taiwan into the WHO, it would be when there's this huge pandemic across the entire world. And if that's not doing it, I don't know what other excuse they need. And it's kind of like the other side's fault that we have this pandemic in the first place. They kind of, they arrested the person who was the whistleblower, remember, Mm -hmm. and let it get out of control in the first place. So they create the problem. We create the solution. (laughs) We know how to, uh, we've got a lot of, um, you know, uh, Taiwan can help. <laughs> not only that, but we've kept, we've we've controlled it. I mean, you and I are wearing masks, but this is at this point kind of a formality. Yeah, I'm really excited. We I have actually, like no cases. <laughs> I just made my appointment for my vaccination this week, so yeah, I'm looking forward to I'm that. I'm getting my second shot soon as well. Yeah, and he's mentioned that you know the U.S. is very vague about protecting Taiwan, and uh, well, his conclusion was, what does Taiwan want for itself? That's a hard question to answer because even our lawmakers violently disagree. Yeah. <laughs> but I, honestly, he says that 80 cent, he cited polls showing that 87% of people here are happy with the way things are. And his question was, could it be that maintaining their currently deeply weird, ambiguous status quo is actually the best option here? 
Hmm. I think a lot of people would agree with that because it, it works. It's it is weird, but it works. We're a country and not country. I mean, all the embassies here have to call themselves offices instead of embassies. Or yeah, I mean, I feel like those formalities to me as a foreigner, maybe I don't notice them it's, as much. And but I feel like it's just the pressure from China that's putting everybody on edge right now. I don't know. Uh, he says that. Um, well, it's. <laughs> <laughs> he was funny. Uh, he got some interesting reactions. One of them was a uh, uh, what's his name, a Freddie Lim, who is a lawmaker, but also a singer from a metal band. And even our Olympic team has to go by a euphemistic name. Oh yeah, Chinese, Chinese Taipei, Taipei, which he referred to as Chinese effing Taipei. But <laughs> he later said, uh, actually, Lim actually responded to the segment and said, "Oh, kids, don't say that word, please." Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I haven't been able to watch him in a long time, but maybe I should get back into that now. Uh, I'm happy that uh, he's not ignoring us. That yeah. finally, I, I think mean, it's really great when you know people who are such public figures are drawing attention to yeah, Taiwan. Cause I, mean, I think it really makes a difference. What what happens here really will affect the world. Um, it could drag everyone potentially into a war, and at the very least, your semiconductor supplies, or as they put it, you cited a Vox article that describes our chips as being used in many products from cars to sex toys. We've got so, the whole um, range there. So Taiwan we make, is everything. We make, we, we make the, the stuff that powers everything. Exactly. Um, but yeah, even though we do beat the crap out of each other, uh, I'm, just, I'm paraphrasing, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, maybe letting a, you know, we're not what he called a poker chip or an island-sized Viagra to rejuvenate the, rejuvenate the Chinese nation. Instead, China should just allow this free democratic society to decide our own future, however we see fit. Yeah, it sounds like John Oliver is not going to be invited to China anytime I soon. I said he already spoke with the Dalai Lama. I mean, come on. Yeah. It, it was over <laughs> even before then. Well, the only thing I'm disappointed is that he usually pulls pranks on people or like, I don't know. Someone should have come out with pig guts on his like, show. Yeah, no, like he'll do something like uh, buy, like I thought he would have done something like buy a giant billboard outside the UN. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or, I could, yeah, hmm. I mean, maybe maybe something's coming in the future. One time they know. were doing something criticizing Fox News and they ended up buying ads to like make fun of Fox News on Fox News. On like, Fo they do stuff like that all the time. Like they, <laughs> they have a huge budget. Yeah. Wow. I wish we had a budget like that. So the show can make, make anything happen. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, so Fox News didn't realize that they were buying. I don't think that. they care if they get the money. I don't know how it worked. Anyway, they always like do something beyond yeah. just talking. And that's one of my favorite things about the show. I'm disappointed that uh, he didn't, I don't know. Maybe we got to start a petition for episode part two of Taiwan. And this time with some, some real pranks in there. I know, like, it's not even necessarily pranks, but he'll just do things that embarrass whoever he's targeting. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there was some guy at FIFA who was charged with corruption or something. And he's from Trinidad and he bought a, a segment on Trinidadian TV <laughs> it was a long one too like making fun of the guy or like, oh my <laughs> like God. he really goes after no people. no he does uh, but in a funny way yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. I, I we need to get back into seeing him mm -hmm. our question for our listeners is have you seen this segment and what was what were your thoughts about it yeah I was just about to ask that I'm curious because to be honest I haven't seen it yet like I've heard about it and I definitely want to see it now well, it was everywhere on Facebook but like I said I just haven't been able to it's been so such so many years of depressing news. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, it sounded like this one was more upbeat. Yeah. I mean, no. It, okay. I, I can watch this without cringing. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh no, we're all we're all doomed. Yeah. Exactly. Do you have any interesting comments coming in? Uh, let's see. Okay. So we have some people who were talking about 
Oh, some people also saw the Congress gut fight and talked about how gross it was. Yeah, welcome to Taiwan. This is our democracy at work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, at least they weren't punching each other this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and let's see, Jen Delari mentioned that she is getting her, th- that she already got her third shot last week, which is something uh, I've heard from some of my friends in the yeah, U.S. We're, now we're, they're getting their booster shot. We're slow. I'm still waiting for my second one, so. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe now we need to... To get three, or maybe it's going to be something like the flu vaccine in general, where you're That's supposed fine. to get one. I, I get one every year too. Year. So, oh well. Um, you've got a story for us about uh, uh, an exciting new uh, invention or discovery that could ease people's the severity of people's cases of COVID yeah. when they do get COVID. So, I first wanted to ask you, John, have you ever tried traditional Chinese medicine before? Um, once. I did once because I was curious, and it's covered under national health insurance. Yeah, that is So you can, cool. you can, if you like, they looked at me kind of weird, like, <laughs> what's, a, what's a foreigner doing here? Because it's not the sort of thing that usually we go for as yeah. expats. But I did try it one time. Actually, that's not true, twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, one time was for a, a, a pretty nasty cold I had. Mm-hmm. But the other one was I did something funny to my neck, and I couldn't move, couldn't turn my head. It was uh-huh. one of those, uh, so it wasn't like a medicine. It was more like acupuncture, massage and uh, like mm-hmm. manipulation uh, yeah. When I lived in Tainan, I went, I didn't go regularly, but sometimes if I had some issues that maybe I was considering going to see, I don't know, more of like a Western style doctor for, I was like, okay, let me see what this traditional Chinese approach is about, because I don't think it would be covered under my health insurance back in the US. So no. this is kind of like, this is a once in a lifetime chance. I think ac- I did get acupuncture that was, I believe, covered back in the states a long time ago oh, okay uh, it depends on your plan and provider mm-hmm. yeah so i've gotten like i've gotten acupuncture done here i've gotten some other type of massage where they move my bodies and my body in ways that i didn't know my body could move yeah. and then i've also gone just to get kind of a more a powdered medicine yeah, that substance. stuff is, tastes nasty yeah you know it's brown I, concoction <laughs> i've gotten pretty good at taking it to be honest at mm. first it was super hard i felt like i was doing the cinnamon challenge yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah um but I, I think it's good that i kind of got my practice in there because they're saying that they are they've developed this taiwanese herbal medicine you know based on taiwanese traditional chinese medicine principles that is supposed to uh target the symptoms of covid and could potentially cut COVID mortality rate by 50%. Has this been tested or just speculation? Has um, this gone yes, to trials? It's, it's been tested in 15 different hospitals in Taiwan. Okay, because our COVID numbers are quite small, so uh, it's hard to find a good enough sample group of people who have it. Yeah, maybe they can also try it on patients who are experiencing similar symptoms, you know, mm. it, whether it's patients that maybe they don't have COVID, just but pneumonia. they're having breathing problems mm. or immune, immune system issues. Yeah, so they can't, right now they can't release all of the actual components that are in the medicine because it hasn't been patented yet. But oh, some of the... stealing their idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some of the herbs are mint, Chinese skullcap, licorice, um, and yeah, in total there's supposed to be 10 different herbs. Sounds like a Ricola. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it sounds, when you just think of those, it sounds kind of interesting. I mean, I don't know what Chinese skullcap is, so maybe maybe that tastes pretty sounds bad. Sounds like a mushroom. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I think it's I think it's interesting. I mean, when I went to see traditional, when I tried t- traditional Chinese medicine, it wasn't for anything that was super severe. But like, if yeah. I wasn't sleeping well, or maybe my skin was acting up or something, I would go. And I don't know. I don't think. It, I mean, it didn't make the situation worse. Yeah, but I true. think that in general, since you have to take it three times a day, it made me drink more water, which is mm. always good for your body anyway. So I think. Um, 
uh, like I said, in, in Taiwan, a lot of this is evidence-based, though. So, I mean, they do clinical trials just like they would for a, a non-traditional-based medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, in the studies So, so these that, claims have to be backed up. They're not just going to say stuff like this. Yeah, so the studies have been shown effective in cutting down the likelihood of patients being intubated or admitted to intensive care units by 80%. And already there's a total of eight Taiwan-based pharmaceuticals that are authorized now, um, that have been authorized to make and distribute this drug. So. Yeah, I, I've heard of a similar medicine that, that they were talking about last year, and they were selling that uh, abroad, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it wasn't actually allowed to be sold here for, oh, for, really? for reasons of we have stricter rules about traditional medicine. But in mm-hmm. the States and in Europe, they were selling us. Huh. Uh, so maybe this is another future export for Taiwan. Yeah, it's, I'm interested to see how this could compete with the other oral medication that is in the process of being released right. for COVID. That's, I guess, more according to Western medicine principles. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, is it a powder? Do they say what kind is? Is it a lozenge? Usually uh, these are powdery I medicines. think it's a powder. Yeah. Oof. That's, they taste like... <laughs> It's kind Awful. of like you, you know, I usually will take a shot of water and then take a shot of the medicine and then another shot of I like water. I you describe them as shots. Uh, <laughs> that's what I feel like I'm doing, to be honest. <laughs> it's the worst shot ever. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. And it, uh, does it have preventative properties as well? Um, so it's it's been... Um, it's been used to treat mild and moderate cases for breathing problems and boosting immunity. Um, I don't think it has been has said in general whether it's going to be used kind of to be proactive before something happens to begin with. I think it's more to uh, relieve these symptoms once mm. they occur. Okay. But I think in general, Chinese medicine, it, I mean, I'm no doctor, but I feel like since it's a more natural approach, like all of these are just different herbs. If you wanted to, since it's used to boost your immunity, I don't you see You could probably it. just take it anyway. Yeah, You wouldn't exactly. have to necessarily be diagnosed to get it, exactly. like a prescription. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, I wonder if our listeners out there would be willing to give this a try. Yeah, uh, let it us is, know. It is different, quite different if you're just used to Western medicine, but... Uh, like you said, it didn't make things worse, so yeah. there's that going for you it know, at least. Maybe, maybe my taste buds weren't super happy, no. but uh, we actually have a listener here who said that she went to get acupuncture therapy. This is Sabina Guo, and she said that she got like four or five needles in her head and her chronic headache was gone. So I got mine for like severe anxiety, and uh, that helped. Oh, really? It did. It did help. Uh, I'm not sure if that's just like a sort of placebo effect. Mm-hmm. But I definitely felt a lot calmer afterwards. And yeah, I placebo mean, effect works. So. Yeah, and like I know when I feel anxious, my head feels super tense, and sometimes I'm just trying to massage it myself. But I'm thinking, you know, if there are certain pressure points there, that yeah, could... or I had one here, like in my hand mm-hmm. and up my arm and everything. Oh, um, really? Yeah, mm-hmm. I never got it done here, but in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. So, but I, you know, now now I'm getting more interested. In... But I'm not anxious anymore, so I don't guess it worked. Yeah. I don't I don't need it. (laughs) I'm not sure why it is, but for some reason, um, whether it's the headgear or in this case the footwear, whatever like marathon runners or Ironman competition people wear tends to end up in the news here in Taiwan. A while ago, there was this Norwegian one who had a temple, a hat made by a Taiwanese temple. Oh, really? And he won a bunch a of race? events. That and doesn't seem like credited very... it to 
the goddess's powers and uh, got huge attention here now it's footwear that's in the news though on a different marathon runner exactly so i was excited to see this for a couple reasons one it was a taiwanese ultra marathoner but he was doing a road race in new york city which is where i'm from well actually just outside the city the suburbs to be to be fair but anyway he was when they say ultra marathoner he was doing this uh, it was almost 5,000 kilometer road race, which is super Not in insane. one day, hopefully. No, 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 no. It took him 48 days, 11 hours, 52 minutes, and one second. That's much more reasonable. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what I would not think is reasonable is he actually did part of the race in flip-flops, which I don't know if you've ever tried running like in flip-flops. Proper sandals or flip-flops? Flip-flops. Because flip-flops, he'd fall over. I mean, here they wrote them as flip-flops, but I, I'm assuming that they're sandals. Uh, but honestly, I, I mean, I've run in sandals before, but you would think that, oh, like, it doesn't really seem like the kind You get of... blisters. Exactly. But actually, he wore these sandals to fight getting blisters from running shoes. So the guy who actually came in second place in this ultra marathon was Luo Wei Ming. And he said that, um, like, obviously sneakers, running shoes are good and they're good for long distance. But sometimes if you use them for too long, they can lead to swollen or blistered feet. So he felt like the sandals that he got, which were they got attention because these were made by a Taiwanese manufacturer. Uh, They gave him comfort and support. And these sandals are actually pretty interesting. Um, So basically, uh, they use material that's softer than rubber. It's very elastic and absorbs shock well. And then also, uh, there's an antibacterial there's an antibacterial powder that's made from recycled oyster shells. What? Yeah, that's weird. Inside the do you have to apply it or is it? So it's added during the manufacturing okay. process, and it gives the sandals an antibacterial property. So I don't know if that also... That's good. Um, maybe you want something antifungal, too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, I wouldn't want to get athlete's foot no. in the middle of an ultra marathon for sure. Um, but yeah, so basically, uh, it's gotten a lot of attention because I assume most ultra marathoners, I don't know what kind of shoes they prefer, but I'm assuming they get, like, sandals. They deals from Nike and Adidas and yeah, things like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, Maybe Puma or one of those brands. Yeah, so I'm hoping that, like you said, it seems that whenever someone is wearing something that's a little different from the other competitors, it usually gets a lot of attention. Here in Taiwan, yeah. Yeah, so these materials are made from Formosa Plastics Corporation. And yeah, so it's made just with a material that I guess... It's not plastic, though. It's made of ethylene vinyl acetate. Uh, they also probably have to be pretty heat resistant because I don't know. I imagine running out in the open countryside, it gets quite hot. Although, although it is pretty getting pretty cold. Oh, it in is, New York. Uh, that makes sense. But where was this? The how did, was the race just in the city, like around the city, or where was the end point? Um, let's see. Five thousand uh, kilometers. That sounds like a coast to coast race. Yeah, or I feel like I I don't think you could just be within New York City unless it literally went around and around. And you have to keep stopping for traffic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, where was the race too? Uh, I'm not sure exactly where it ended up in the final part of the race. Um, but I guess a good deal of it was throughout New York City. Um, hmm. I mean, if you ran back and forth throughout the grid of New York City, I feel like you could somehow manage to get up to 5,000 kilometers. It'd take an awful lot of time. Oh, yeah. Know. I mean, it could take 48 days, 11 hours, 52 minutes, and one second for I all we know. know. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm assuming that this b- brand of sandals is about to get a big sales boost here in Taiwan because that hat that I told you about earlier sold out. You can't buy one. I think they're still... Um, 
quite difficult to get even all this time later uh yeah he credited the the hat for his win i wonder if this guy's crediting his sandals yeah i mean i'm it's all about what you wear huh? i'm in the market for a new pair of sandals so i'd be checking that out <laughs> i don't know if any of our listeners have tried running a marathon or anything like that but maybe next time you should try it in sandals see what happens to your time all right well that does it for today's edition of here in taiwan i'm john van trieste i'm emma banak don't go anywhere because coming up next it's hashtag taiwan highlights and in the spotlight Welcome to Hashtag Taiwan. I'm your host, Leslie Liao, and every week in this show, we take a look at what's trending online in Taiwan. This week, we're going to be taking a look at a YouTube video that's been very popular over the past week. Now, I'd tell you why it's very popular, but I'm going to get into that in Hashtag Taiwan. Let's just say it involves a non-Taiwanese person spreading Taiwanese culture. It's coming up next on Hashtag Taiwan. Don't go away. This is Ku. He's a French YouTuber living in Taiwan. This is a peanut ice cream roll. It's a traditional Taiwanese dessert that consists of ice cream, cilantro, peanut brittle, rolled up in a flour wrap. Today's topic is at the cross-section of this French YouTuber and peanut ice cream rolls. What do I mean by that? Well, last Saturday, Ku uploaded a video to YouTube which is now receiving rave reviews. Last month, Ku ate 10,000 calories worth of taro products to prove how much he loves well, Taro. And then he made a donation to Taiwan's International Cooperation Development Fund, which is developing taro farms in Palau. Palau is a country in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's an archipelago consisting of over 500 islands, and it's one of Taiwan's diplomatic allies. In total, Ku donated 50,000 new Taiwan dollars to the ICDF, which is close to 1,800 US dollars. As a show of gratitude, the ICDF invited Ku to visit Palau to check out the taro farms he helped support. Ku agreed to go, but he said he wanted to bring a piece of Taiwanese culture with him to share with the Palauans. Ku said he found out that Palau is hot and the people there like to eat ice cream, so he thought Taiwan's ice cream peanut rolls would be the best item to share with the Palauan people. Ku spent some time developing a recipe for taro ice cream to use in his rolls. Back in the day, and I mean like 50-60 years ago, Taiwanese ice cream vendors rode around on bicycles. They'd honk their horns to let people know that they were nearby, and that's why, in Taiwan, Ice cream is sometimes called Bapu Bapu because that's the sound an ice cream bike makes. Ku purchased a 60-year-old traditional ice cream bike, packed it up, and flew it with him to Palau. When he got there, Ku visited taro farms and using the local taro, he made his ice cream. 
Ku then unpacked his ice cream bike and hit the streets giving away peanut ice cream rolls in exchange for subscriptions to his YouTube channel. You know what? That sounds pretty smart. Maybe I should be trading ice cream for YouTube subs. Ku rode around Palau on an unwieldy antique bike with a big metal box filled with homemade ice cream in tow. He went to a Palauan Independence Day event and that's where his business took off. Unfortunately, his goods were no match for the hot tropical weather and his ice cream melted halfway through the event. At that point, he started giving away the ice cream on its own and not in a peanut roll format. While there, Ku ran into the French ambassador to Palau and asked her to try some Taiwanese ice cream. She seemed to really like it, but maybe she was just being diplomatic. But at the end of the video, Ku had a chance to have one last VIP try his ice cream, and that was Palau's vice president, and she seemed to really sincerely love the ice cream. So let's take a second to unpack here. A French YouTuber went to another country to spread Taiwanese culture. It's not hard to understand why this video is so popular in Taiwan. Ku's commitment to authenticity, from developing his own ice cream recipe to bringing with him an actual vintage ice cream bike is just plain heartwarming. His actions would be equivalent to if I lived in France and traveled to say Greenland to spread French culture. Here's the thing though. There is no way that I know as much about French culture as Ku does about Taiwanese culture. And that alone is impressive enough. And that does it for this week's Hashtag Taiwan. I do hope you enjoyed that episode because to me, that's just a great story. Anyway, be sure to check us out on our social media uh, outlets where you can find us on RTI English on YouTube or you can go to Radio Taiwan International on Facebook or Taiwan Insider, which is also on Facebook. And Taiwan Insider is the show that uh, Hashtag Taiwan is a part of. Now, in this week's episode of uh, Taiwan Insider, I asked my fellow hosts a question uh, based off of this Hashtag Taiwan. I asked them, what would you take to another country to best represent Taiwan? And uh, what do you think people would appreciate the most if you brought that item? And uh, I highly encourage you to check out this week's episode of Taiwan Insider and see what we said. Not just that, but this week's episode of Taiwan Insider also went over a groundbreaking report that was passed in the EU Parliament supporting Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan Insider is a weekly wrap-up of the most important news stories coming out of Taiwan, and it's just a great show. We put our hearts into it. We'd appreciate the support. Drop us a like. Send us a message. Anyway, until next week, guys, uh, I'll talk to you again soon, and I'll be back with another Hashtag Taiwan. This is Highlights, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Taiwan faces constant pressure from China, and it's not just military pressure either. Even though Chinese warplane incursions into Taiwan's air defense identification zone are pretty commonplace, well, China sends a lot of disinformation Taiwan's way as well. Now, Stash Butler spoke with researcher Wu Mingxuan to find out what kind of threats Taiwan faces and how it's fighting back. So DoubleThink Lab conducts research, on, I mean, in your own words, on these contemporary threats to democracy. What kind of contemporary threats to democracy is Taiwan facing at this moment in time? The threat to the Taiwanese democracy that we're facing for all the time is basically the China uh, government that is promoting another weight over the governance and try to um, convince our Taiwanese people having another uh, lifestyle or governance model. But the, with the new technology, there's a lot of uh, misinformation or disinformation campaign that we've been seeing 
observed uh, in the past um, few years um, try to influence our elections or influence our um, uh, public opinions on certain topics. Basically, down to the word is that divide our society is the ultimate goal for their actions. How is Taiwan fighting back against this kind of disinformation? Uh, fortunately, I think uh, even though we, we've been seeing a lot of uh, uh, this type of disinformation, but fortunately, I think the resistance of the civil society of Taiwan is quite strong. And um, um, there's a lot of uh, action being taken uh, by the civil society organization like Taiwan Fat Checking Center or other fat checking community um, volunteers group uh, trying to do more not only the fact check but how to disseminate those fact check results to the general public um, by using like um, messenger app um, chatbot or um, just go directly to the community uh, organize volunteers group um, having a lot of it offline activities to do media literacy education lots of things so um, I think uh, this whole uh, disinformation or misinformation um, um, problem is really um, brought a lot of a civil society organization together uh, to to try to fight back. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin, and today my guest is all the way from Pennsylvania. Of course, we're doing this online. Her name is uh, Yi Chiao Hong, and um, she is the founder of Journey by Chinese. She's a, I would say, professional Chinese language coach. So let's uh, meet, uh, actually, each also goes by Joyce. Well, let's meet Joyce. Hi, Joyce. Hi, Shirley. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for going online and doing this. Hopefully, it's not too late where you are. It's early here. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, let's start from the beginning. Well, you are from Taiwan. Yeah. And um, yes. actually... In 2012, you went to the States, and on and yeah. off, um, you were abroad up until 2019, before you mm -hmm. came back to Taiwan for a couple of years, but now you're back in the States. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you went to college here in Taiwan, and yes. your major was uh, languages and creative writing. Well, the, in the Chinese language, yes. So you are an expert in teaching Chinese. That's what you are. Yeah. So anyway, um, why did you want to like do this mm -hmm. major? I mean, have you always, always loved reading? Mm -hmm. I'm just guessing, okay. Uh, reading mm -hmm. in Chinese and reading novels and stuff and <laughs> writing in Chinese. Yeah. Or you love, do you love Chinese poetry or, you know, literature? <laughs> um, what is it that that made you mm. decide uh, this as your, you know, as your major and then also as your future career? 
I think I just love to talk as a kid. <laughs> I, I like, I love to talk. I love to share. I love languages. And then、uh, I went to like a English、uh, English cram school called Hojaram when I was like first grade. And then、uh, I just like I love English first. And then、uh-huh. but like at that time I, I'm really bad at math. So like、uh, <laughs> when I was like apply for like a、uh, uh, universities, like I could not get into like a English language program. So、uh-huh. okay, and then like language and creative writing in Chinese, like it's in modern. More than Chinese,、uh-huh. so I'm like, yeah, it should be a good option. So I went for that, and then when I was in college, I actually doesn't think I would I would go for a master or even a PhD degree、oh, yeah. because I. I just like I feel like oh I need to I need to work you know I wanna know what I really wanna do so I think at my college time I did like lots of internship at different places I just like explore what I'm really interested in、mm-hmm. and then when I was uh, at the uh, I got like when I was in college and then、uh, sophomore and then there's a, a exchange program exchange. Uh, exchange opportunity to go to Utah State University,、mm-hmm. and then I apply it, and I think yeah, it's you know it's an opportunity for me to explore the world or explore the world more. So I think that's the time like really opened my doors,、mm. and then like I got to go to the U.S. and I started to know oh oh a language I know like. Sometimes it could not really, I could not really use it when I was there. You're saying the kind of English that you learned in cram school couldn't, you couldn't really use it in life in the states, right? Yeah. You know that yeah, is so ironic. Like, it was a little, yeah, but like I think it's when you because when you are in Taiwan, like people are,、uh, you, you are learning English most of the time they will speak slowly, or、mm. like、uh, it might be we 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 need to.、Uh, Study for a test. Yeah, but in the U.S., like the first three months in 2012, when I was an exchange student, it was very tough. Like,、mm-hmm. I could only follow up, let's say, like six, 65 percent of what the professors or what the friends I'm handing out. So,、mm-hmm. but after that, I got a, also got opportunity at that moment to be the teaching assistant at the Chinese language classes. Oh, and then I start. I start to build like the interest, you know, like、uh, as an assistant to assist the students learning Chinese language,、mm-hmm. and then so the instructor told me, say, hey, you know, we actually have a master program, the master of second language teaching here.、Mm-hmm. So you actually, you know, you know, how about you know you go back to Taiwan and then finish your bachelor degree, and then you could come back for a master degree, and、oh. then we also have the graduate.、Uh, Like a graduate scholarship, so like the time you are learning, but the time you could also put your learning into real life. Like you will be, you will teach the you know the college students the Chinese tenten. Yeah, so、oh. I went back for two years for、oh, my master's degree. That is so interesting.、Yeah. It's funny how you said that. You know, reason why you decide to major in the major that you did is because you love talking. <laughs> And 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 by the way, you、yeah. have you have a very beautiful voice. I just realized. Oh, you have, thank yeah. you. Yeah. So, what kind of people have you taught? I mean, you've taught little kids or adults or both? 
Oh, good question. So uh, when I was uh, doing my master, it was like college students. So mm. I love to teach college students because they're elders and then like it's easily easy to communicate. And then but after my master degree, mm-hmm. and then I start to, you know, you will always try to live there, try to, you know, find a job there. So I mm. apply uh, all different jobs in the university levels, but I couldn't get in. I apply probably 20 to 30, like, uh, teaching jobs at the university level, but, like, I just couldn't, like, they just, like, don't want me. There was a, a trend in Utah, like, Chinese immersion program. Mm. So I apply for it, and then so I start to teach Chinese immersion school at the elementary level. So I teach, like, one year of the sixth grade, and then, like it's an amazing program, like Chinese immersion program, like going on in the U.S. Because every student, you know, actually they're just American. They're even a heritage. Like everyone are just American. They, their parents are all American, but they start to learn Chinese at the first grade. For example, one day, so one day, like uh, from nine to four, like morning time they will be in the English side. Afternoon, they will come to Chinese side. So I use Chinese language to, te- to teach all the subjects to them. Their Chinese language level was amazing. Really? It, it's not like you are taking a, it's not like you are taking a Chinese language courses. It's you are using Chinese to learn all these different subjects, the math, the science, the social studies. So like they're, when I teach the sixth grade level, like their Chinese are amazing. Like it's like morally like advanced level. So mm. yeah. Wow. So from mean, adults to kids. Oh, yeah. So you're saying that all the subjects were taught using Chinese? Like whether math Correct. class? Really? Wow. Correct. So, um, so yeah. is this a specific kind of school? Because I we did hear when, I don't know, maybe a mm. couple of years ago, how they were making Chinese as a mandatory foreign language or mm-hmm. something is that mm-hmm. is that true is this a special kind of school so the full name it will call a chinese immersion program right and actually it's growing on like in every different states so oh. like from california and then utah it's Utah has like 50 around at, at that time, like 2019, it's around 50, 50 something uh, schools. They are doing this Chinese immersion program. Wow. And then when they go to, when they go to middle school, there would be a IB and AP program, like middle mm. school to high school. But like the most valuable time is like when you are elementary because half of the time, like really half of the time you're using Chinese language to wow. learn different subjects. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Now, my question is, do they learn the Chinese in a simplified form or traditional form? Uh, good question. Uh, it depends on the school. At that moment, I, uh, I teach the students uh, simplified because <gasps> they growing up from, uh, so from first grade, like they will have different Chinese teachers. So uh-huh. most of the teachers, I would say my colleagues, Three of them are Chinese, and uh-huh. then two of us are Taiwanese. Uh-huh. So we would just follow the whole through, like, uh, simplify. But oh. I feel I don't, like, if we, like, think out of the box, like, think out of the box and simplify our Chinese-ness, but just let them immerse in this Chinese culture. It's a mm. beautiful thing, you know, mm-hmm. to learn this language and culture. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that is so cool. Wow. Um, so you 
when you teach, you teach everything from writing to reading <laughs> to listening and all that, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. And and But, then I also need to teach science. What? It was hard. It was really hard for me. <laughs> like social studies. Social studies, fine. You know, sixth grade social studies. Like you know, but like science was really hard for me. And then like in 2019 in Utah, it was like a new. It, it, it's a trend, but it's also new. Mm. So at that time, we don't have we don't have like textbooks in science for Chinese language learners. Mm. So basically, I need to create all the materials and then work at the English side uh, teachers because we co-teaching this 50 kids, and then they also need to do their. Uh, Like their tasks, like admission tasks for middle school, like science is the important part. So I need to work very close with the English side teacher to、mm-hmm. transforming all these English materials to Chinese learning materials、wow. in science. And and during、yeah. class, you can only use Chinese to teach. You can't use any English at all. Good point. Like, so if you are teaching college level, like it's fine. Like they need, like they need like English language to like、uh, to help them to understand. But in、oh. the classrooms, like especially Chinese immersion program, yeah, when they step into my classroom, they、uh. are only allowed to talk <laughs> in Chinese. Oh, okay, okay. Wow, that's quite a challenge. But、yeah. that's the best way to improve. Oh wow, it is. This is so、yeah. interesting. Now, why do they want to have this Chinese immersion program? What's the idea? What's、mm. the what's the goal behind the U.S. government for doing this? I think before before the coronavirus break out, I I like at that moment, like I think the concept, like uh, in the in the parents, the American parents, they know like China is growing, so、mm. like I think they know like. It would be very beneficial for their kids to learn Chinese language.、Mm, I see. And then, other than Spanish, because、oh, Spanish、yeah. is easier to learn, but、right. Chinese would be challenging, but also have lots of potential for them. Considering that Chinese is such a difficult language to learn, you know, I mean, foreigners—they,、yes. I mean, they would think that we're drawing the characters instead of writing the characters, right? You know. True. Yeah.、Mm. So、um, now. Actually, in Taiwan, while in Taiwan, you said you were like teaching Chinese to foreigners living in Taiwan. Now, what was that、yeah. experience like? What was that like? So,、uh, I'm the founder of Journey by Chinese. Yeah,、And、which, by the way, is a great start, name. Yeah. <laughs> why I start this is like I noticed like. Taiwan is a beautiful country, a beautiful island, and then so many foreigners come to here for business, for travel. But like when they really want to make meaningful communications with、mm. locals or with like they might have love partners here, like they met some Chinese Taiwanese friends. But there's a language barrier for them to you know communicate meaningfully with the Taiwanese people. So. And then when I look at the textbooks, like lots of context, it's already like not updated. So、mm. I start to create my materials, and、mm. then it's more like a you could really use when you are in Taiwan. Yeah. So I promote my classes online, you know, to like those people who wanna、uh, learn Chinese online because I know face to face. I like face to face, but.、Mm. 
And the other way is like because lots of uh, some of my students they are a businessman in Taiwan, so like they need to go to work, and then like I just it's better to fit their schedule if sure. it's working online. So one of my students when we are having like uh, uh, like uh, going through like ordering food, mm-hmm. and then I would say like if you don't mind, actually you could just uh, record what the conversation you are going on with the with the, the when you're ordering food. <laughs> yeah, That's so. Fun. And then we could, and then we could look into a conversation. What's the barriers or what's the problems you encounter? Mm. So it would really help them to learn this language and then know how to use it. Well, that's definitely a great idea. Why did I not think of that when I was teaching English to Taiwanese students or businessmen? Anyway, I think it's great what Joyce is doing now in the states. When the U.S. is chumming up to Taiwan and hoping to do more exchanges and businesses with Taiwan. So please join me next week to hear more from Joyce about her Journey by Chinese program. For In the Spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kilohertz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kilohertz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to PO Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's PO Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me/radiotaiwanintl. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me/radiotaiwanintl for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.